Hey, Richard Gottlieb. Chris Burns. How you doing? Hey, we've got an, an auntie on today, a savvy auntie. A savvy auntie indeed. Melanie Notkin is with us, and this is the Playground Podcast with me, Chris Byrne, and my co-host and cohort, Richard Gottlieb. We are brought to you by Global Toy Experts, the Toyguy.com, marketing and media agency Chiscom, and Precise.tv. And Melanie, I'm going to start out because I'm going to ask you the question everybody always asks me about the toy guy. How did you get to become the savvy auntie? First of all, let me just say hello. <laughs> I, you are two of my favorite people Thanks. in the toy industry. <laughs> and I am just so happy and thrilled and feel the joy to be here. And that's a fantastic question because when I launched Savvy Auntie in 2008, I really knew very little about toys. When I say knew very little about toys, I mean, like I was still thinking Light Bright and Cabbage Patch Kids. Like I really just didn't know, which was a shame because my my nephew and nieces at the time were pretty little and I probably should know a little bit about toys, which is why I created Savvy Auntie. So I started at a, a smaller toy event back in the fall of 2008 uh, that is now defunct and then started to go to toy fair and then all the toy fairs, which I've been to. And I fell in love with toys and the toy industry and how, how much play plays a vital role in the development of children. Of course, the younger, the, the, the more so. And I thought this is the perfect way for me to help women who don't have children of their own to develop and spoil the children in their life. One of the concepts that I believe you created was, is called Panks. This is not an undergarment. It's P-A-N-K-S. What does that stand for? And, and how big is that demographic? Pank is our stands for professional ant. No kids. This is actually a rising demographic of women in America. We know that in the U.S., women ages 20 to 50, um, there are about 18 and a half million panks. Women above that, it's harder to tell because it's really, frankly, based on fertility rates and non-fertility rates. But yeah, and it's a growing number because women are having their first child later than ever. We have new birth rates, which I know we're going to probably talk about, that are coming out now. So here's this demographic of women who are more likely to be college educated, more likely to be among the more affluent men and women in America, and women who love the children in their life, whether or not they wanted children, or like me, um, are childless by circumstance or childless by challenge, um, or just young and haven't gotten there yet. Melody, let's go back a minute before you were the savvy auntie. Can you tell us a little bit about your journey? I always wanted to have kids. I grew up in Montreal, Canada. I moved to the States in 93 after graduating. I went to McGill. I came here, frankly, to meet a great Jewish guy, and I've met many of them, none of them my husband, and <laughs> had thought, you know, I was asking about maternity benefits uh, at my first job interview in the U.S., in New York. Um, this was something I wanted very much. And as I was getting older, into my 30s, my late 30s, I realized that there were many women like me who did everything we we thought we were supposed to do and did. We graduated college and got jobs. Some people call them careers. And yet among 
my cohort, many remain single and childless. And so Savvy Auntie became a way to help other women know that they're not alone in this experience. And having always wanted to be an entrepreneur, frankly, I thought this was would be sort of the the perfect next step for me. I had worked at, at L'Oreal for a number of years, so I knew how to market to women. Um, I'd worked in nonprofits, so I knew how to work as someone who was self-funding her own company. So I felt like all the stars aligned. And, and then my, my brother started having kids. That's pretty courageous. Uh, and, you know, Chris and I are both uh, entrepreneurs as well, and and we know that it's 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 uh, it takes a lot of courage uh, to do, and and some savvy. Uh, so how did you do it? I mean, here you took a concept that was non-existent. I mean, you weren't just establishing you as an influencer; you were actually establishing a an unrecognized segment of the population. So. How did you get from there to here? I'm a marketer by trade, and I have my whole life looked at um, the zig where everybody was zagging. <laughs> I've already always looked for um, a way to make a path that was clear and open, and it seemed, frankly, like a no-brainer when I was thinking about what next. And frankly, I, I decided to become an entrepreneur or if you're like me, an A-U-N-T entrepreneur, <laughs> I have many antisms. I thought, I want to leave something. I want legacy. I want meaning. I want to create something. I was, was still very hopeful at the time to have children. But I thought, you know, this would be a great way to know that I've created something on my own and, and somehow left a mark. And that mark would be a way to show that, again, that women who didn't have children weren't necessarily and in fact are more likely not to be child free by choice but rather women who are waiting for the right relationship um waiting for the right economic place in their life to have children and meanwhile were amazingly besotted by the children they love so I, I think frankly all the dots all the everything aligned and I just fell in love with all of the industries that, that support the ant able to be the hero at birthdays and holidays and all the every days in between. What was the initial resonance? Was it with the ants or was it with the industry? I launched Savvy Ante at 1 p.m. July 9th, 2008 at 1.23 p.m the longest 23 minutes of my life, I had an email from an agency then called Beyond Interaction, which uh, represented Play School. Oh, wow. Yeah. And then at 3.15, Sephora sent me an email. So I knew it was resonating both with those who market to children and those who market to women with discretionary income and time. So I knew, you know, within three hours, two hours, that my concept was proven. Um, Disney, by the way, they emailed me the Friday after, so two days later. In fact, that became my first campaign was uh, for a Pinocchio Blu-ray DVD that I ended up promoting for them. I think it was 2009. And then the Wall Street Journal covered it as like an influencer, although we weren't called that then. But about what would Pinocchio tweet? So it was taking off from the start. Um, the ants, um, interestingly enough, Part of what I've been doing is help those women realize the role, the important role that they play in a child's life. And again, this isn't; these aren't just ants by relation, your siblings, 
These are ants by choice. Often enough, the, our fam, our friends are the family we choose. And I want to help those women realize the valuable role that they play. And in fact, that's why I established Auntie's Day in 2009. That's the fourth Sunday in July. So it's Mother's Day, Father's Day. And then we've got Auntie's Day. And this year, the 13th annual Auntie's Day is Sunday, July 25th. I'm fascinated by the emergence of the ant as a real economic opportunity for for marketers because Richard knows I'm steeped in 19th century literature and the aunt or the maiden aunt was terrifying, was somebody to be (laughs) marginalized, was somebody who was in some way invalid or pathetic. But you've actually turned that on its ear and you've discovered that this demographic is a powerful economic force. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, Jane Austen would be proud. (laughs) She would. (laughs) She was unmarried and an aunt. (laughs) Correct, correct. And there are many women who are role models, modern role models. Oprah Winfrey is is a good example of that. And Kamala Harris, um, while now a stepmom, married later and hadn't had biological children, Frankly, I think Sex in the City helped a little bit with that, too. Carrie became aunt to Charlotte and Miranda's kids. And you're right that, you know, when we talk about aunt and the way, frankly, she's depicted still today in media is as on the negative side of, of Sex and the City as sort of this, you know, single woman dating about town and really has zero interest in anything substantial and meaningful, or she's cold hearted quote-unquote, career woman who can't even think about anything else that is meaningful but this, you know, corner office. None of these depictions are true. Or she's moronic, has no idea what to do with children. I see that in commercials all the time, and it breaks my heart. Again, as women are having their first child later, we know now that a woman is more likely to marry at age, I'm seeing two numbers as of the last couple of weeks, 27 or 28, either way. 10 years ago, it was they were 25, so they're two years older. And before that, um, they were, in, in 1990, they were not even 24. They were age 23.9. So women are marrying later. Women who marry later tend to be college graduates. So we're seeing this, and 58% of college graduates, we know this number again, very fresh, are women. And so we're seeing women who are not finding men who are of equal education levels and then of equal wage earning. And women want to know before they have a baby that they're going to have economic safety and they're going to have the opportunity to stay home with their child, even if it's just a few months, that there's somebody there who can pick up the slack. So We're seeing women marrying later and having more time to spend on the children in their life. In fact, um, in 2008, I did a a national study and we found on Panks and we found that 91% of them said that their role as aunt was very important. Not just combining important with very important, very important. Women see this role as something that is not only something that enables the children in their life to develop and to grow and to be happy, but they are helping the parents. 64% have contributed to a child's education. And of course, they're seeing this as a way for them to play a meaningful role 
before they're married or after they're married, before they have children, and or whether or not they decided to have children. So they've become a real economic force. And yet we um, are sort of blind to this dynamic, influential woman. And we know female consumers tend to buy more than male consumers. In fact, you know, someone will say, well, I'm not really an aunt. And I'll say, well, have you ever walked by a cute baby clothing store and say, oh my God, I have to get that for my niece or nephew and buy it at retail. Right. <laughs> we do this all the time. We keep spending money on the children we love, and these numbers are rising the longer before we have a child of our own. Melody, tell us a little bit about what's going on with birth rates and why it's important that the toy industry see ants as maybe stepping up to the plate. Birth rates are in record level declines. Richard, I know you've written about this for years now on Global Toy News, you know, sending the warnings. You're the like the Cassandra of the <laughs> toy industry. With, with I would always <laughs> prefer to think of myself as the canary. <laughs> but I'll take And... And I've, you know, always been cheering. You know, there's always me in the comments going, yes, and Panks. And in fact, you referred to Panks, you know, earlier this summer when, when we got some news about what the pandemic was likely to do, um, referring to a baby bust uh, by a, a study by the, the Brookings Institute. And yes, in fact, even without the pandemic, we've been in what's now a six-year decline in birth rates. We just have brand new, fresh numbers as of this morning, it's May 5th, that we've lost another 4% of children from 2019 to 2020. And this is, again, the lowest on record. We are now at a one6 level birth rate. Women are having 1.6 children. We're supposed to have 2.1 for replacement. And again, this number is going down and down and down. No, then you have to add to that the fact that a woman is having that first child much later in life. And so, and some of these 1.6, by the way, are twins because more years before a woman has her first child, more likelihood naturally and with uh, some help, she's having twins. So when a woman used to have a baby not too long ago at age 22, now she's having them at 32. And what is happening in those 10 years? What's important for the toy industry to recognize is that there's this, what I call a parent-consumer gap, that there's these 10 years before she becomes a mom that the toy industry is not marketing to this woman. And of course, this woman is more, she's able to spend more money. In fact, we know that she is spending per child per year $247 on toys and games. Wow. That's extraordinary. Wow. And that's not newborn gifts, right? Because newborn gifts don't happen every year. They don't buy the newborn. What did you say? 14.9, 18.9 million ants out there? Well, and that's just between the ages 20 and 50. There are many more who are older than that. We think it's a, probably about 23 million women who don't have children. And so here we have this cohort of women who love the children in their life. And again, many of these women are not child-free by choice. 
because they don't love children or because they don't love your children. They're child-free by choice because they don't want children for whatever reason, and I champion that reason. Most women do, by the way, go on to have children. As far as we know, we still have to wait for these 27-year-olds who just got married on average to have children, but they're having them much later. And so here's the opportunity, right? This younger cohort of women, this women who have more time, who are spending more time. So it's not just they're spending on toys and games. What we know is the toy industry is now blurring into the entertainment industry. These women are also going on what I call ant ventures with their nieces and nephews. I love that. I love that. (laughs) I have an ant word for just about everything. Uh (laughs) So... So, and these adventures, again, about $147, you know, on this this one day or two day excursion just with Auntie. I was doing it with my nieces and nephews when they were little. You know, we call it our day with Auntie, special day with Auntie. And, you know, whether it was a movie or I take them, the girls to a fancy salon to get their hair done or go to, uh, in Manhattan, we have the carousel in Central Park. We would do things where I'm spending and spending and spending because... Well, this is my time with them to prove to them that I am worthy of their love. (laughs) (laughs) But but I want to jump in there because it's not like you're buying their love. It's like you're (laughs) you're creating experiences that will be memorable. Yes. My parents are both only children, so I had great aunts, but I had a slew of them. And I remember them so dearly because of just that kind of thing, of that kind of activity. The time that a child spends with their aunt, especially a childless aunt, because that makes them feel so special that this woman in her magical world that they don't really understand, what is it when they're not with when they're not with us kids? Like where is she? What is she doing? Wow, she has her own apartment. Wow, like everything is magical. Right? One of the most magical things I was able to do early on, this might have been 2009, I had connected with some great people back then at, at FAO Schwartz. And they gave my then five-year-old twin nieces a tour of F.A.O. Schwartz. My nieces now, turning 18, remember details I don't remember about these special things that I was able to give them. So yes, and no, we're not trying to buy their love. We are trying to make sure that they understand that we do love them and that we want to give them as much as we can. In fact, I heard from ants during COVID that they actually spent more than they've ever spent because they felt so bad that those kids weren't able to have the birthdays that they have, the experiences, the camp, even after school, the sports stuff. They were spending a lot more. I mean, I don't know, but I bet you, I know there was huge surge in, in Barbie, right? Mattel did huge, so well with Barbie. Huge. Huge. Now, here's the thing. I want to know how many of those Barbies were bought by Panks. The reason why I believe this is because Panks buy what they know. Like me, 10, 12 years ago, I didn't know much about toys, but I knew Barbie. I knew Barbie would put a smile on a little girl's face. In fact, it was an aunt type figure in my life who bought me my first Barbie. I bought my nieces their first Barbies. So we know through nostalgia, like we're going to buy, this made me happy. So I'm going to buy it for you. And because we were doing a lot of things online, they were, you know, easy to pick out, easy to send, easy for them 
to play with because this was the type of thing where they could, they knew how to play with Barbie. This was not something that an aunt had to feel like she had to go there and help, you know, teach them how to play with it or lead the play time with them, et cetera. But more so, we also know that Barbie playhouses were selling off the shelves. Yeah, the dream house was huge, especially in second and third quarter of last year. And that's unusual because it's usually a fourth quarter purchase. And who's spending $199 on a Barbie dream house? Um, that is me. I'm raising my hand, listeners. <laughs> um, Panks are spending $200 on a Barbie dream house. When you talk a lot, you're referencing nieces. In this cohort, is that the primary driving relationship is art to niece? But is it more a gender bond? No, not at all. In fact, my nephew is the first, and he is the inspiration for Savvy Auntie. To be fair, I'd been coaching him from the an hour after he was born, more or less, that I'm his auntie, I'm his family. I didn't want him to think that I was a fly-by-night friend who came to visit or a nanny, babysitter, etc. I wanted him to know we were family. And um, it was around Thanksgiving uh, when he was just two that he turned to me and said, Auntie Melanie, we are family. And that sparked everything that became Savvy Auntie. Because at that moment, the way he looked at me, he said, I know you, I trust you, we have a bond. It will never end. And that is what empowered everything that I do. So, no, it's not a gendered thing. I do, because I am a, a girl, I do love girl toys. And frankly, I find some boy toys intimidating. I once had to put Bakugan on television, <laughs> and I could not, for the life of me, I was literally on the phone with the PR people. We didn't have like Zoom or FaceTime. And I'm like trying to put this stuff together. I didn't know what, and it was one that I had to like put it all together into a bigger monster. Anyway, I brought home all the pieces to my nephew who was in, I don't know, eight or nine. And I left them all in a baggie on the table. I said hello to my, to my sister-in-law, turned around and it was built. Mm. You know, boys have a different way of looking um, or playing with toys. But I, I do want to stress something that's really, really important. So I'm so glad you brought up this, the, the, the gender question. And I brought up the college rates before, 58% women, 42% men. In fact, young men, boys are not graduating high school at the rates that, that girls are. What is happening? What's happening is as much as we thought of girls as behind in STEM just a decade ago, boys are lagging dramatically behind girls in literacy. And this is why they're not moving forward. I want the toy industry to consider adding literacy to how they develop, create packaged toys. I was once at a, as a, it was a Disney event, a summer event, I don't know, five, six, seven years ago, and there were Disney princesses, and they were gorgeous, and they all came with a book. And then I went to the superheroes. There were no books. Right. Where were the books, I asked? Oh, well, these don't come with books, but the, this is the perfect opportunity because around age five or six, boys no longer want to read with their parents because they feel like it's too girly or too babyish. So we need to start focusing as much as the toy industry has done so well with, with helping to influence little girls going into STEM. We need to put as much energy into helping little boys read what they want to read, 
help them develop their literacy skills. This will help boys and girls, men and women, as the years go by. This is basically how to have more babies to sell toys to. (laughs) When you look at the, the major purchasers for kids, which would be parents, grandparents, uncles, and aunts, how would you characterize the ant toy consumer? Perhaps it, 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 what differentiates her from what drives the other purchases? Grandparents, it's true, love to spend on their grandchildren. No question. They love to spoil them. The good news is that grandparents are living a lot longer than they did a generation ago. The bad news is they've got to stretch out their retirement funds for that much longer. And so, unfortunately, they have to be more careful about what they spend. And uncles are fantastic, wonderful. I would love to meet a great uncle. But men don't spend the way that women do as consumers. It doesn't mean that there's not opportunity there. Punkles, professional uncles, no kids. That's um, me. Are, is, that's <laughs> you. Certainly, there's opportunity there. And I think that the panks can lead the way. In fact, I've opened up the eyes to some uncles to reconsider how much they pay attention to what they buy their nieces and nephews. Whatever it is that we all have special influence on the children we love and we can all contribute to their development and well-being, it's just, I believe, the pank has the greatest economic power right now because she's still in the workforce and she's still earning and she really wants to create this special bond. And remember, like grandparents, like uncles, they don't necessarily live next door. They could be long distance. And those aunts really work hard to make sure that they can stay in touch with their nieces and nephews. And one of those ways of doing it is sending a surprise gift in the mail or a monthly subscription, etc. Speaking as a punkle, we're the ones actually who spring for the video game systems because we can be serious, seriously, because, you know, especially if there's more than one sibling and it becomes and the parents are stretched in other ways financially, the uncle or uncles can get together and buy that. And I, I have a great story about my niece, which is who I love when she was six. It was coming up to Christmas time. And I said, when mom and dad, meaning my mom and dad, ask you what you want for Christmas, I want you to say this only full pelts and nothing less than a carrot. And she learned to do that. So my mom called her and she said that. She said, you've been talking to Uncle Chris. (laughs) But it was that kind of comedy that we still remember in the relationship. The reason I do that is because it was it's a very special sort of comic non-parental relationship. Melody, my kind of observation is that from what you described, that ants are not just more involved and ants don't just have buying power, but that they do their purchasing because it brings them great pleasure. If you're a toy company and you have to decide how to message to a pink, what should be in that message? The first is to message to her. <laughs> right, I mean, that's, right? <laughs> that's number one. I, look, I'll be at you know a toy event press event, and I they'll say, you know, what are you looking for? And well, you know, savvy auntie explain who the pank is. And then they'll go, oh, great. Yes. Wonderful. And then they'll say, well, you know, this is great. Moms like this toy because. (laughs) And there's this blinder, right, to who this woman is. The toy industry has a real opportunity to recognize this woman 
and to understand that all she wants when it comes to children in her life, when it comes to toys and games, is to be the hero, is to get it right. This woman may be doing everything in her life right, but she may not know what the children in her life want. And she doesn't want to go to her sister-in-law and say, um, so what are kids into? What I would like to do is to work directly with the toy industry. So we have to understand where the children are vis-a-vis the ants. We have to understand they don't want to appear clueless themselves because we just don't want to feel like we don't know. I think that on some level that all the investment that the toy companies have made in research, in making building a profile of their consumers, both kids and parents, that they have left out this demographic completely because we live in a very versatile marketing time. So it really is possible to find you where you are spending your time online or what you're watching or what you're reading. It just hasn't been something that has been of value. And and certainly in this conversation and, and in other observations, I know that it's a value, especially as there are going to be fewer children but more opportunities to buy toys from different consumers. Correct, Chris. The toy industry has never needed the pank more than it needs her today. Because again, going back to that parent-consumer gap, there are fewer parents right now with fewer babies. Now, if a parent is having 1.6 children per household or per parent, at pank, we know 86% of them have at least two nieces or nephews. Again, nieces or nephews by relation or by choice. And 13% of them have at least 10, again, ages 0 to 18. So on average, a very, very conservative average, we say 2.5 nieces and nephews per pank, which is one child, just about, more than a parent has. Wow, you've just doubled your market. (laughs) You just doubled your opportunity, right? You just doubled the number of gifts that can be bought this holiday season even. As you, as you speak, it, it, and as you speak too, Chris, it, it strikes me that, you know, the toy industry really came of age at a time when television was the funnel. It was fairly simple in terms of marketing. You know, you just spent X amount of money and you buy TV time. And this age we live in now, uh, marketing is much more intricate. It's, it's like needlepoint. It's not just the ants. It's just that I'm not sure that we have gotten sophisticated enough as an industry in, in reaching out to these segments. And that comes to mind. And the other thing, Melanie, that strikes me is that where the biggest declines in birth rate are, thank God, is girls 15 to 19. So yes. uh, and, and where we're seeing the, the increases, or at least the, the smallest declines, is in women late 30s, early 40s, who have money. So you have this, the aunts who have money to spend. We've got the parent, the, the older parent who has money to spend. And perhaps it's time we ended this notion that the average price point in the United States is 19.99, and be a little more sophisticated in not just how we market, but in how we see the consumer and what we provide them to buy. For an aunt, who wants to put a smile on her nieces or nephews face the price point isn't what she's focused on as much she's focused on putting a smile on that child's face and so 
if it's $19.99 or $59.99, if it's the thing that will make them happy, that's what she's going to do. Now, I say that while she may be a secondary caregiver, she's a primary gift giver. Our purchasing habits are different. Our spending levels are different. So yes, we buy differently and they experience their time with us differently. Toys are the essential gift for an aunt to give a niece or nephew. The shame is that they don't know it yet. So, Melanie, now's the time we ask you the question we ask everybody who is a guest on the Playground podcast. Tell us a secret. I think I alluded to it a little bit earlier. I, When I was 10 years old, I um, had a vision that I was going to have twin girls, Buffy and Bonnie. <laughs> I like alliteration. I had a friend named Bonnie. I think Buffy was on a TV show. As I it was turned 12, I got baby name books so I could, because I was, nah, wasn't into those names, going to L's and M's. I always thought I would have twins. And when I was 34 years old, I got them. My brother had twin girls. <laughs> and then just to, I think just to give it to me for maybe stepping on his Legos one too many times, a few years later, he had a second set of wow. twin girls. Oh my goodness. So along with, a, a, I have a nephew and a niece as well, above those. So here I was thinking I would have twins. It was so my vision for whatever, because there are no twins in my family, by the way. <laughs> and my brother went on to have two sets of twins. And uh, I couldn't be happier because all of his kids are the loves and joys of my life. And clearly um, have given me meaning and mission in what I do, not only personally, but professionally. So if people want to get in touch with you, how do they do it? So melanienotkin.com is a place where there is some of the, the data and insights are there. So they can, you know, look at that Generation Pank from 2018. Um, the latest national survey is there. Um, and they can reach me through the email there. I'm on all the socials at Savvy Auntie. You could just Google and you'll find me and I would be so happy to hear from all of you again. I love the toy industry and I am really so proud and joyful the way that the toy industry welcomed me in from day one. This is really important information and I've always enjoyed talking to you whenever we get a chance to and it's so exciting now we get to share this with our listeners. And guys, pay attention. This is really important stuff and it's a great opportunity. Melanie Notkin, Savvy Andy, thank you so much for spending the time with us today. Thank you so much, both of you. This is the Playground Podcast, and we'll be right back with the end cap. And now we come to the part of the show that we call the end cap, where Richard and I talk about issues that are affecting the toy industry right now. And following up on our conversation, Richard, with Melanie, this really is big news that the birth rate declined for the sixth straight year in 2020. What are you thinking? Well, it's, it's more troubling than that, Chris. This is that right now, the fertility rate in the United States is the lowest it's been since the government began tracking figures, and that was in the 1930s. The birth rate is the lowest since 1979. And by the way, the fertility rate is, is really a, a percentage of the number of women having children who are able to. And the birth rate, of course, is, is the number of children that are actually born. And it appears, Chris, that in the past, 
after there's been an, a, an economic slowdown, as we had, you recall, the Great Recession. We were both here for that in 2007. Uh, and now we have been through this latest period because of the COVID issue. Birth rates dramatically pick up after these are, are over. But that did not happen after the Great Recession. And it's not happening now. And it seems like this millennial generation is different than in past generations. Just not as interested in having babies. I'm, I'm not sure it's that they're not interested in having babies, but there is a lot of economic insecurity around having having babies. It's expensive to raise a kid. And when we look at what college is costing and we look at what housing is costing and many of these young parents may in fact themselves still be paying off college debt, it becomes an economic question of whether you can have a family. And if you do, how big a family are you going to have? And I think it's significant in that if we look over in China, once they relaxed the one family, one child rule, we did not see a huge boom in two child families because from everything I've heard from from folks in China, it's the economic question as well. It's expensive. From what I'm reading, Chris, it appears that the, the issues that seems to be in play are, one is, is Melanie uh, uh, referencing when we talked to her, People are simply marrying later in life. I can remember when, when I was a young guy, uh, we were getting married 21, 22 years old. And now it's they're getting married late in their 20s on average. They're going to school for longer. They're getting uh, higher levels of education. And there is less financial security. There are reasons that they are not as enthusiastic. Also, birth control. Let's not forget, you know, right. you get to right. enjoy. Chris, why I think this really affects us is, one, we have just seen a big drop-off over the last year because of COVID. Whereas everybody thought people would stay home and be romantic and have babies, didn't happen. So I think this is going to begin impacting our toddler companies first, Fisher-Price, Play School. Absolutely. And But then it's going to continue to roll through the toy industry as these kids get older. So I think toy companies, Chris, really need to prepare for what's coming. And I have some thoughts on that, but I want to hear from you. I agree with you. And I think that if we look at coming out of the Depression, out of World War II, even out of the Korean War, there was a lot of optimism in the country. And there really was... And part of that optimism was expressed in having kids and larger families. But yes. so you yes. allu you allude to the fact that the toy industry can do stuff to prepare. I'm really eager to hear what they could do. We could go out and force people to have babies, but it, I don't think it would work. That doesn't work usually. <laughs> <laughs> so instead, let's take a look at the numbers. And first of all, Chris, and, and I think this is the really good news in all of this, is that they're not women, they're girls, 15 to 19-year-old, had the biggest drop-off in births, which is really good news because these are going to be mothers who are, in many cases, going to be single-household, single-parent households, and not going to have money. And that's it's good for the country, and it's good for these, these girls. I agree. Uh, on the other hand, where we see the increases, or at least the smallest declines, is in women in their late 30s and 40s. And these are, are people who have uh, typically have careers. They have established relationships. They've got a lot of disposable income. 
So I think where the industry needs to go, Chris, is first of all, we need to give up on the notion that there's an average American who will pay $19.99. That's the hot price point. And we need to, to get really into the intricacies of who's out there and who's shopping. And, and so we have to say to ourselves, hmm, uh, whether it's a uh, affluent couple in their late 30s or it's that savvy aunt, uh, auntie that, that uh, Melanie was just referencing to, they got a different hot price point. It could be $99.99. And this shopper is not necessarily looking for the cheapest toy. So I think, Chris, that one of the things the industry needs to be looking at is creating better toys at higher prices and to make up in average retail ring what they're losing in just a number of child consumers. That's really interesting. And I think your point really reflects the changing psychographics as well. As we look at the Gen Zs, the oldest of whom are 23 right now, and the younger millennials, these are people who are all wanting to invest in sustainable companies. They are changing their attitudes towards consumption. So there's yes. an opportunity for fewer toys, higher price points, stronger margins, maybe less units overall. And I think it's significant with all the sales that we saw in 2020 that the units were actually in decline. I think it's significant to understand the mindset and the worldview of these young consumers as they move into building their own families. To your point, uh, I like to talk about legacy toys as opposed to landfill toys. I think that's where the win is for the toy industry is uh, products that make parents feel that it's good for the ecosystem because the toys don't go in the trash. Uh, they stay with the family. They're passed down sibling to sibling and generation to generation. Uh, and and that are made of materials that, that uh, are, you know, will, will hold up uh, and not pollute the um, environment. So, there's a big wins here for the toy industry, but we're going to have to kind of let go of that view that there's an average shopper. They don't exist anymore. I agree. Or we'll find a new average based on a changing culture. Yes. This is a fascinating conversation that we could keep up on all day. It's certainly one that's going to be changing as we move forward, and we'll be covering it here on the Playground Podcast. I'm Chris Byrne with my co-host, Richard Gottlieb. We are brought to you by Global Toy Experts, thetoyguy.com, marketing and media agency, Chiscom, and Precise.tv. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time. <laughs>